0: You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman.
1: Thanks everybody for joining us again. It's Howard Schweitzer here in Washington. I'm joined by Caitlin Martin. And today with us, we have a couple of our public strategies colleagues from other cities. We've got Jamie Ansorge, from New York City. Jamie is active in Democratic politics, was on Hillary Clinton's National Finance Committee during the 2016 election, and um, is one of the go-to folks on our New York City team for all things New York City and state, but also very active politically on a national level. And then Joe Hill is with us from our Philadelphia practice. Joe heads up our Philadelphia practice, and he too is a regular participant in Democratic politics, was the political director for Governor Wolf's re-election campaign last year, has been involved with the mayor's re-elect, and has been in and around Democratic politics his whole professional career. So, guys, welcome. Uh, Caitlin, of course, is, is a regular here with us, but welcome, everybody.
2: Thanks, Howard. Great to be here.
1: So, fascinating debate last night. Let's break it down. And uh, this is part one of a, a, a two-part conversation about this. So, Joe, I'm, I'm going to kick it to you. Uh, last night was the, the October Democratic debate. What's your, what's your overall take? And then we'll, get, we'll kick it to Jamie and get into some true-false questions.
0: Yeah, so, I, I mean, overall, I think one of the, the biggest takeaways with it was that all of the candidates have improved significantly just in terms of their delivery um, their ability to hone in on a message. Um, I think you know, in terms of the the dynamic, in terms of the race, um, it was clear that Warren is, if not the front runner, at least a co-front runner. Uh, due to all the oncoming that she had uh, last night from a number of candidates that she wasn't able to really respond to. Um, I think another thing that to note was that Amy Klobuchar uh, got a lot more time than I thought she would. Um, and is kind of vying for uh, the position as the person that kind of squeaks up the middle and provides a practical alternative to, to some of the folks on the left um, that have been gaining traction. So I, I think overall, candidates are a lot better. Warren is now in the lead, and she's got all the, the, the arrows coming at her back. And, uh, you know,
3: Amy uh, yeah, showed
0: some life
1: thoughts. last night.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was amazing how substantive of a debate we had with 12 folks on stage, the largest uh, primary debate, uh, Democratic debate in history. Um, But I think there were a lot of very interesting storylines from uh, Bernie Sanders looking as spry and uh, charming as ever um, to, you know, Warren fending off various attacks to Pete kind of getting tough uh, to try and uh, pick up where, where Biden might be trailing off. Um, so a lot of very interesting storylines.
1: Yep. Okay. So let's get into some of our usual true false questions here on the Beltway briefing. First question, the ability to defeat Donald Trump will decide the democratic nomination. Joe true or false.
0: Uh, I'd say the short answer is true. Um, I think the, the argument or the discussion is around how you beat him. Um, So I think, you know, different folks within the party have different views on how you do that. But I think that that's what most primary voters have at the front of their mind is how do we beat Trump? And Then
1: why is Elizabeth Warren leading the pack? Because to me, she's the least likely person up there to, to beat the president. I think she's so vulnerable against him.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I think, The broader debate is, you know, conventional wisdom suggests that you put up a moderate who can kind of court Obama Trump voters in the Midwest and, you know, in the the blue wall states, so to speak. Uh, But others think that, you know, we need to draw a sharper contrast um, and, you know, appeal to build on our appeal with Romney Clinton voters in the suburbs um, in a lot of these states and, you know, increase our margins in cities and, and, you know, squeeze as many votes out of the cities as we can um, with voters who haven't typically participated uh, since Obama's election in, in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, so I think there's an argument to be made. I'm not sure it's the it's the most compelling argument that you know having a candidate uh, with a positive message with a f- you know a forward looking message that's not necessarily a return to 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 the past but you know a look in the future would get folks to participate who otherwise wouldn't. I think that's that's their argument that we'll be able to get more
3: votes than we otherwise. Uh, would if we nominated someone who was was safe? So I would say the short answer is actually false. I think for every voter that walks into the the ballot box thinking, hmm, who strategically should I vote for that's going to have the best chance at beating Donald Trump, you're going to have at least one and maybe two or three voters that goes in and votes the person that they identify with, that they like, that they believe in, and that they think speaks to them. And that's why I think, you know, to some extent, the folks that are only focused on Trump are losing the opportunity to inspire and win uh, supporters for the sake of their own positions and and personality.
1: Caitlin, what do you think about this? Because coming at it from the other side of the aisle, you know, I'm curious what your thoughts are.
2: I don't know. I didn't hear a lot of policy proposals that last night that really are going to resonate with uh, Ohio voters, with Iowa voters, with Pennsylvania voters. Um, I sort of saw, especially towards felt like as the debate dragged on towards that two and a half, three hour mark, we started getting more and more progressive in, in a lot of the policy proposals put forward. So I'm not quite sure if I think that, um, what we saw last night was really a clear example of putting forth someone that has the ability to defeat president Trump.
1: Yeah. Okay. Second question. The primary choice comes down to progressives versus moderates. Jamie,
3: I think true. I mean, I think the underlying premise of of this race is where on the spectrum do people lie. And I think you have some clear lanes, which is, you know, Bernie and Warren kind of on the left and then Babushar and and Buttigieg and Biden uh, um, closer to the center. And then folks like Harris and Booker who are kind of center, but leaning more left. Um, And I do think where folks are aligning on that spectrum is really the defining story of this race.
1: Joe, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I I think mostly, mostly true. Uh, Like Jamie said, I think there's another component to it, uh, which is just, you know, ideological, I guess you could say, versus practical voters. I think there are a number of voters who are going to say, you know, while I may like Warren and I may like her policy proposals, whether it's on Medicare for all or, you know, you name the issue. uh, There are some that say, but, you know, we need to beat Trump, which ties into the first question we need to beat Trump. So I need to get behind the person most likely to do that. Um, so I think there's also a kind of ideological practical divide beyond just the the policy
1: moderate. I I don't know why the question is anything other than can this person beat Donald Trump because anybody that gets elected on the democratic side of the aisle is actually going to be to the left of where Barack Obama was. I mean they're running to the left of Barack Obama. If he were running today on a 2008 platform, he'd look like a moderate. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah, and it's <laughs> I'd say so and it's crazy. Right. I mean, and- it's it's crazy that anything other than the ability to beat Trump is on people's minds. It's it's nuts. Elizabeth Warren isn't going to get her crazy left progressive policies enacted. She's not going to get Medicare for all. She knows she's not running on policies that she can actually get enacted into law.
3: And, and I think you're really right, Joe and, and Howard, to kind of reframe it. I mean, none of these candidates are moderate. They're all progressive. If anything, it's the progressive pragmatists versus the progressive kind of ideologues. But these are all very progressive candidates just kind of debating the best way to get to where they're going. They all want universal health care coverage. Question is, is it Medicare for all or, you know, public option, but it's it's all progressive. And, uh, you know, I I mentioned this to some of you the other day, but just the fact that Elizabeth Warren seems to be the, you know, kind of the, the central point between the Hillary wing and the Bernie wing is a huge victory for those on the far left of the Democratic Party.
0: I think there's there's like also uh, just a, like you said there's the ideologue versus the the pragmatic um, perspective, but I think a lot of the policy debates are just an argument over tactics and methods. So you know there are a lot of folks on the progress in the progressive wing of the party, uh, you know, the folks who live on the coast, who say that by leading with you know uh, the Affordable Health Care Act you know, with, you know, a a different recipe of various incentives and subsidies uh, in a public option. And then we negotiated away the public option, you know, when, when we got uh, into office and we got into power that maybe we should have led with something a little bit more bold so we could have landed on public option, you know, rather than negotiating that away um, during the healthcare debate. So I think a lot of folks where they might say, okay, we like Elizabeth Warren. We agree that, you know, to get everybody covered, that's our goal. Obviously that's gonna be negotiated away at some point. So where do we land? Maybe if we start with Medicare for All, we land on public option. You know, um, So I think that, that that's the difference. It's it's not a difference in values or a difference in approach to policy, but a difference in how you negotiate and a difference in, in the tactics and methods you use to, to accomplish your goal.
1: So third question. Someone other than Warren Sanders or Biden can win the Democratic nomination. True or false, Caitlin?
2: I think so. I think one of my key takeaways from last night is Buttigieg. Mayor Pete. I think he really sort of filled filled a void that I think Biden Biden looked diminished to me on the stage, and it was almost like Buttigieg was out bidening Biden on some of his policy proposals and on some of his. Um, Thoughtfulness, and I think he had a really strong performance. I also another of my key takeaways is that um, Senator Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, did. She really worked hard to present herself as the Midwestern moderate and the, um, you know, the policymaker on the stage that has real solutions and and answers and isn't just going for the most progressive talking points. She said this morning in one of her interviews. Um, after the fact that we have to look at more than just these bumper sticker solutions, free college for all, Medicare for all. That's not really going to to be a realistic policy solution. So I, I certainly think that um, we had some, we had some shining stars last night that I think were able to differentiate themselves on the stage um, compared to the past two debates.
1: Okay. Well, I guess my view is that, yeah, I mean, Pete and, Buttigieg and, and Klobuchar, they, I mean, they they had strong performances. There's no question. Um, and we can get into reviewing each of the candidates in a moment here, but um, strong performances, but, and, and Mayor Pete is raising a lot of money. He raised $19 million in the last quarter. I think Elizabeth Warren raised $24 million or, or thereabouts. So he's, he's the one kind of candidate outside the, very top tier that seems to be able to keep up from a fundraising perspective. Someone absolutely can come from behind. Um, I just don't know. Elizabeth Warren has such, she has star power. That's for sure. And I think people are drawn to her, not because of her policies, but because of her politics and her kind of star power. I think the democratic party wants a, a star like a Barack Obama, like a Bill Clinton, somebody that kind of captures the public imagination and almost has like a, a bit of a Hollywood quality to them. I think that's what the Democrat electorate is focusing on. And I think it's a huge mistake. She's a divider, not a uniter. I saw it firsthand in government. Um, you know, she wasn't well liked in the Obama administration. She is a divisive figure and I I just, a number of the, a number of the other candidates mentioned that last night. I just think it's, I think it's going to be hard for her to, to beat Donald Trump. And I think it's a real mistake to go for star power over practicality. Joe, Jamie, care to jump in?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the answer is absolutely true that someone outside of the top three can win. Um, and, you know, just I look back at some historical data at this point in previous presidential primaries and on October 16th, 2007, uh, in the Democratic primary, Hillary had a 26 point lead on uh, Senator Obama. Uh, in, on October 16th, 2015, in the Republican primary, which is, uh, you know, something similar in terms of the number of candidates, Trump had just a three point lead on Ben Carson at the time. Um, so it feels a lot. like forever ago. Change. Right. So a lot, a lot can change. And, you know, just looking at the electoral schedule, I mean, Iowa and New Hampshire in particular, and, and it was on the Democratic side in 2008, it was Obama winning, squeaking out a victory in Iowa that really propelled him. You have Pete very close in the polls in both Iowa and New Hampshire to that, the leaders of that pack. So I think you're right that Pete is really the one, if he can somehow squeak out a win or a great performance in Iowa and New Hampshire, he could catch
1: fire. He's just so young he, and he looks young. Joe, could he get over the youth issue? <laughs> I I
0: think it's, I think, like you said, it's a combination of of youth and, you know, frankly, just lack of experience with, within government. I mean, I think it's hard to, to say that the mayor of, you know, South Bend, Indiana, is necessarily qualified to, to be president. Now, now uh, Barack Obama had a similar challenge. He had only been a U.S. senator for for two years, right prior to um, you know to, to securing the nomination. So it can be done. I I just find it hard to believe that someone that young, uh, with an experience limited to you know uh, being a you know small small city. Mayor, um, you know, can really break through with with traditional rank and file. I thought last
3: night was very important for him because he really kind of shook the nice guy Pete image and was tough and tough on other candidates and showed that he can he can fight as well. And I, I think kind of might shake off some of the perceived immaturity or youth there.
0: Right, particularly on the foreign policy, uh, you know, that that line of questioning. I think he demonstrated a, a, a really good understanding of some of the dynamics and gave a pretty uh, forceful defense for America's role in, in the world um, that I don't think other candidates were prepared to provide. So I, I, I so definitely applaud him. So let's
1: this. go through each of the candidates quickly. Um, let's start with uh, Biden. Let's keep it to 30 seconds, a candidate. Jamie, go.
3: You know, I thought he had moments of strength and moments of weakness. He had a couple minor gaffes, you know, I think he still looks, he still comes across as the most presidential commander in chief of all the candidates. But I do think he continues to diminish slowly over time in terms of how excited people are about his campaign and the questions of his son are significant. And he didn't answer them in a, in a clear and convincing way last night.
1: To me, he looked old, old and slow on his feet and not very clear but we'll see uh Joe Elizabeth Warren uh,
0: Elizabeth Warren is is now the front runner uh, she can take a punch I thought she, she I mean look at.
1: she had a strong performance but she was she was on defense they're clearly coming after her I thought her line about the fact that you know the companies don't build the roads that people use it, like that whole thing. Sound. It was echoes of Barack Obama. You didn't build this kind of stuff from, from a while back. I, I just, I, I don't know. I I, she's she, I don't see her. I don't see her winning. So my view, um, Caitlin Pete Buttigieg,
2: uh, again, I think he really shone last night. I think he broke away. I really enjoyed his back and forth with Beta O'Rourke as it came to, um, as it related to Second Amendment issues. I think he had a strong performance, and I think that he is now going to be taken seriously, particularly amongst those that consider themselves in the Biden camp. Um, like I said a few minutes ago. I, I think he kind of outbidened Biden. and it seemed like he um, was, was sort of one of the, one of the adults in the room.
1: Even though he's a kid.
2: Even though he's not.
1: Jamie, Bernie Sanders.
3: I thought he had maybe the best night of anyone. I think everyone went in thinking, you know, he just had a heart attack. The American public's going to discount him because of that. But I thought he, you know, brushed his hair for once. And he was trying extra hard to be nice and funny. And he did that successfully. I thought the way that he thanked everyone for their support was very sincere. And I thought he came came off more likable than ever but continue to have just the best cadence in explaining large overarching populist issues to the American people. And I thought he had a great night.
1: Well, he owns who he is. I mean, on on the question about line of questioning about how they're going to pay for the, uh, for univer for Medicare for all, he was, he's at least honest. He owns who he is as opposed to some of the other candidates who make promises like Warren and right. And you know, she ducked and covered when it came to how you're going to pay for your, uh, Medicare for all Joe, Amy Klobuchar. Uh, I think if,
0: if Biden continues to fade, um, Klobuchar has a very compelling case to make, uh, as someone who's very electable and, and has demonstrated, uh, that over the years, um, it's just a, formidable presence on the stage she's obviously very experienced and um, I'm interested to see what what happens in the next she was super
1: movement. strong last night I mean to me you know I don't know that it gets her to break through but she just came across as a very strong very strong voice um, it was it was impressive uh, Cory Booker Jamie
3: You know, I keep waiting for for Corey's big moment. Um, You know, I think he has great charisma and and a great, um, you know, ability to communicate and connect with people. But, you know, I thought his attack of the moderators last night kind of missed the mark. And, you know, he's just getting less and less airtime, which is, you know, sad because when given the opportunity, he can be very good. But we just haven't seen much from him yet.
1: I mean, to me, he might be the best president of any person up there on that stage. And I think Mark said that previously, actually uh, on one of our prior podcasts, but he was like peacemaker. Can't we all just get along? I'm a vegan, you know, he wants to
3: be the healer.
1: Yeah. The healer in chief. And by the way, he'd be a phenomenal healer in chief. He's been a big city mayor. I thought some of the things he said on, Poverty and some of the way he recasts the conversation, but he, he's just, he's frankly, I think he's too nice. I think he's too nice. Got to take the gloves off.
0: And a lot of it's a lot of it seems canned that the one liners, I mean, Frankly, it's like how many one-liners do you remember? I agree. Number That's I all he's
3: time for.
2: <laughs> he was, he was trying page. to be the peacemaker, but it was the last debate when he was calling Joe Biden out for practically being senile. I mean, I thought and, that was a little and ironic. And I thought he
3: missed the mark on that too. He had a <laughs> yeah. great opportunity to give his vision for criminal justice, and he used it to attack Biden and drew a vicious counterattack. And I thought that was maybe the defining moment of the debates for of all the debates for him.
1: Caitlin Kamala,
2: you know. She perplexing. Didn't stand, she's she didn't, perplexing. She didn't stand out to me last night. I think I thought the back and forth with her and Elizabeth Warren over banning the president from Twitter was a little odd and forced. And I just didn't really. She she didn't stand out to me last night. She's
1: really. She came out of the gate when she announced more strongly than any other candidate, in my in my opinion. And she's just She's lost her edge. She's got no edge. She could be. And I think should be at the top, at the top, but you know, in in the top tier, but she's just, she's not catching on. Um, She's almost too casual. I feel like when she, you know, when she gets these questions, she's like too kind of low key in her responses. Um, So uh, Andrew Yang, Joe.
0: Love to hear his voice as a part of the public dialogue uh, for the next several years. I don't think he's ready to be president. Uh, I need something beyond the, 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 the UBI um, policy prescription. Um, but I like him. There's something about him. I, I really like, he comes off very genuine and, and, and authentic. And I think, um, you know, he's thinking about issues in a way that, that the other candidates uh, haven't. Um, so I appreciate oh, I his that's voice, really
1: well said because right I think he is, substantive and adds a lot from a policy perspective, but um yeah, he's not he's not ready to be elected president. I do like the suit no tie look that he carries <laughs> off. I'm a and big fan map, of the yeah. suit no tie.
3: <laughs> the math pen. Yeah that the
0: math pen. That was great. Um
1: <laughs> Beto. Caitlin.
2: Oh radical. I mean the
1: He's done.
2: I can't, especially radical. That's all I've got to say on that.
1: Jamie, Joe.
3: Look, the gun issue is a defining issue for a generation of Americans, guns and climate change. And he has staked his campaign on being radical on especially the issue of of gun control. And, you know, Pete took a, you know, gave him a good shot about it, saying it was, you know, impractical. Um, but you know, he continues to take his message to a new generation of voters. It might not serve him this election, but it's smart.
0: Yeah. I think the magic is, is kind of faded. And I think the the longer he stays in, uh, the more damaging it's going to be to his career long-term, frankly. I mean, I I think he needs
1: to pivot away and run the Senate. Look, I'm not a gun guy. Um, they're a defining issue for the country, but I don't think they're a defining issue politically. And I think it's super dangerous and probably damaging to the democratic party as a whole to take as extreme a position as he took from a political point of view. And look, I, I, if I had my druthers, the policies would be very different, but, but they're not. And it's a defining issue for the other side of the aisle, much more than it's a defining political issue for the, for the Democrats. Yeah, Talking about winning
3: Texas. I don't know how you're going to win Texas with that policy.
2: And right. the campaign ads write themselves. I mean, the 2nd pro-Second Amendment supporters have been arguing for years that Democrats want to register and then confiscate your firearms. And they've argued the slippery slope theory of registration equals confiscation. And as Buttigieg kind of called him out last night on stage, he pretty much helped make that point and wrote that campaign ad. And I don't think it was helpful to the Democratic Party.
1: Okay, quickly running through a couple of more. I'm gonna group them together. Steyer, Gabbard, and Castro. <laughs> Joe's shaking his head. I can see Joe. Uh I think I think Gab
0: I think the more we have these candidates, you know, I think another key takeaway broadly was that this is not a Great way for us to run a race to have three hours of folks on the record, 12 people on the record, um, to be spliced into campaign ads in the general election. Tulsi Gabbard seemed very dangerous, it was almost like she was on a kamikaze mission <laughs> at Elizabeth right. Warren. Every yeah. time she she got called on, she challenged her, tried to get her on the record for something. Steyer's a billionaire right. that doesn't like billionaires, Astros um, and it was, just kind of was oh, yeah, he's there. I think he's 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 auditioning for VP at this point, and I, you know that I think that's that's great, but I don't think he needs to be on this stage. I think we need to go back to the kids' table and have I, a separate I debate found, for Tulsi folks Gabbard. Like interesting o'clock.
2: last night. I I found I was surprised to learn that she on women's reproductive rights, her answer on um, third trimester abortions, and I was surprised that she sort of drew a line in the sand there. I was a little bit surprised at her. Forceful reaction in the conversation over Syria and sort of taking the adverse opinion um, of several other folks on stage. And, and she's very accurate
3: about it as she,
2: well. Right, she's but she was very forceful and, and she was coming out swinging last night. That's for sure. I think that was her campaign. She's trying strategy.
1: to make a name for herself, but she shouldn't be on that stage. I mean, she should be because she qualified under the ridiculous rules that the DNC put out. But this has to be a debate for people that actually have a chance of getting elected president, and she's not one of them.
3: And and I really think, you know, these. One of the foreign policy was a focus for the first time. And I really feel like how folks answer foreign policy questions and their stature and demeanor and confidence when they do it is is of paramount importance to voters who are looking for a commander in chief. And whether or not they can answer those questions in, in, a, in that way or not could make them credible or not. And I feel like some people did, some people didn't. Tulsi, even with her military experience and i'm grateful for her service i don't i think she missed the mark on a lot of those issues and and pete really seized on them to show that he could be a confident clear uh, smart commander-in-chief
1: okay that's gonna end part one of our uh, post-debate beltway briefing analysis of the democratic field thanks for joining us and uh, come back for part two
0: thank you for listening to the beltway briefing if you liked our show subscribe on itunes or spotify and while you're at it drop us a rating To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.